welcome to Uplifting Impact. It's so great to be with all of you. Thank you so much for joining us again today. We have an amazing guest. I literally could spend the entire time just going through all of the awesome things that she has done. We have with us Sheree Atchison. And just to give you a little sampling, because we don't want to spend all of our time just going through a bio, we want to hear from her too, a little sampling of some things um, that she's noted for. First of all, she's listed as one of the UK's top most influential women in tech and an international multi-award winner for her services in diversity and inclusion in the industry. She is the Global Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for PECON, an advisory board member for Women Who Code, which we're going to get into in a little bit, um, a contributor to Forbes, and she is the author of a brand new book called Demanding More. Let's actually start there. First of all, welcome, Cherie. Hey, everybody here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So glad to have you on the show. Can we start with your book? I'm so excited about it. I want to hear everything about it. I want to know why it's going to be amazing and why all of our listeners should pick up a copy. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess the, the the first reason why you should pick it up is because I wrote it and that means it's good. <laughs> um, I hope anyway. The reason I wrote the book, and um, if you read any of my pieces, I take a very I guess, an analytical view to inclusion. I think it's really important that you have a data-driven approach because otherwise things fall to the wayside and very regularly in the industry that has happened repeatedly over and over and over again. And the other issue I really have with the industry is that the inclusion industry as a whole, let's say, starts people on a journey of moving forward with allyship without actually understanding and spending time educating on the real harm and people-related decisions that have brought us to the situations that we're in now. It's a really, pet peeve isn't quite the word because it's much stronger than that, but I have a real strong issue with people not accepting or understanding that we're in the situation that we're in now of global unrest in many, many ways because people have made decisions that are sexist and racist and homophobic and ableist and so on. And we now have to be proactive about changing that. So the book and demanding more is about demanding more it's about demanding more to do more in yourself and in the systems that you have access to in the processes and the policies and so on and it really focuses in on educating people on how the world has been purposefully exclusive so we can be purposefully inclusive and each chapter is paired with an industry leader um, who has prioritized inclusion in their work whether it's a chief tech officer, a chief diversity officer, a CEO of a bank, we have a whole mix of people who really share you know, the decision-making processes and the points that they have made sure we were not causing extra harm to different communities, that we were actively prioritizing inclusion in our ways of working and on our different policies and processes. But the book is really there for people, regardless of your background, regardless of your seniority in the industry, to step up and do something, but do it with the knowledge of what's happened as opposed to just stepping up and moving forward, thinking that that's enough because it isn't. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that really drew me to the work and why I got so excited about the book was, you know, I wrote a book called Purposeful Hustle and it's very much about like, how do you use intention to really do good in the world? And so in many ways, there's a shared kind of theme there. And I think that 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 whole idea of intention 
right? Of being purposeful and being able to recognize that a lot of, like you said, a lot of the things that we're experiencing right now in the world were done purposefully. Like this wasn't like we just, oh, overnight, we sort of happened into these spaces, Mm. but oftentimes that's the story that's told, right? That's the framing is like, it's always been this way. No, it hasn't always been this way. It was made this way by a a, a set of concentrated decisions. And I think people get stuck and they don't want to have that conversation because they feel like, oh, well, then that means I can't do anything because it's already been decided. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think, and I hear your book kind of going in this direction too, that the same way we are purposeful about making these exclusionary decisions, we can be purposeful about making inclusionary decisions. Yeah, exactly. And I I think a lot of the reason that people decide that they things are this way, so why change them? It's because they don't care enough about people outside of their own remit. And that's a problem. If you only care about people you directly identify with, that's an issue. If you only decide that it's worth investing time in making things better for other people when it affects you, then that's not good enough. And the the point of the the book is that it shines a hard light on where we're at. Um, And certainly the, the pieces I write for Forbes and so on, really focus in on shining a light on what we need to do in a really direct way. I think that the problems that we have in the industry are, and the equity gaps are continuing to widen and widen and widen. We've seen how COVID-19 has impacted mm-hmm. minority groups more than their counterparts. We've seen the impact, not just from a health perspective, but from a financial perspective, a housing perspective, and so on. Um, and it's not good enough. And, and again, the, the stories are not being told in the way that they should be. So like over, the, over this weekend, at the start of January, we saw CNN release research on the number of job losses in the UK and how all of them were attributed to women. But when you actually view the story, and I wrote a Forbes piece about this because I'm so sick of the media doing this, we, we've, we've seen that all of the jobs that were lost the, the highest losses, sorry, were for Black and Latino women. White women actually gained alongside white men. But this, the headline buries that because it's happy to talk about sexism, but bury the racism. Now, we see the same thing when it comes to ableism and so on. And what we need to do as people, you know, reading my book, reading different pieces, being willing to go on that journey is making that step purposeful. It's not good enough to just say, oh, I care. I put my pronouns in my bio and I'm finished. Right. That's not enough anymore. You know, you're doing right. the bare minimum of what you can do with that. We need you to do more. And we all know that the bare minimum is not making any changes. The, the yeah, bare minimum very little is not. change, yeah. Right, exactly. And so how do we push ourselves forward and really push through that? That's amazing. Well, I cannot wait to get a copy of the book. We'll make sure that once it comes out, it's set for April of 21. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll make sure that all of our listeners get a little ping um, when the book comes out so that we can get a copy. I'm going to right now formally request a signed copy from you. So. <laughs> okay. We could talk about offline about how we're going to make that happen, but, um, but yeah, I'll definitely be fangirling. So I want to make sure that, that I, that I have one. So one of the things that I like uh, about the way that you approach this work is that you don't just talk about it. You don't just write about it. You actually do things in the space that I think really exhibit what it looks like to be in this work and to be taking action. One of the things that you were instrumental in is making sure that the UK had women who code. So tell our listeners who might not be familiar with the organization, what is that organization? Why did you bring it to the UK? What, what was that process and how does that connect into this kind of bigger picture for you? 
Yeah, of course. So I, I used to be a software engineer. I have a computer science degree. So I'm very, maybe too technically minded sometimes about everything and very logical when it comes to decision making in everything. <laughs> so Women Who Code is the world's largest nonprofit globally dedicated to women in technology. We have over 230,000 global members and a presence in over 60 cities. And we give over $1 million worth of scholarships to women in technology per year. Now, where I come in was around seven or eight years ago when I was a software engineer. Ultimately, things weren't good enough, certainly in the remits that I was in. As you can probably tell, I'm Irish by my accent. And so I grew up in Ireland and the tech space in Ireland is, as you would expect, you know, it's very white and it's very male dominated, um, even more so than you know, what you would expect in London or San Francisco, for example, because of the type of place that it is. And that's the way it is. But the point is, I wanted to change the way it was. And so I found when I graduated, I found Women Who Code. Now, at that stage, Women Who Code was based in San Francisco and had 5,000 global members, so much, much smaller. And I don't like reinventing the wheel if I don't need to. Nobody has time to do that. And I branched them across the UK and helped open up a lot of different branches in Europe as well. And the work with Women Who Code is we run free monthly meetups in all of our locations globally. So women can come together and non-binary folks can come together to develop their technical skill set and nurture their confidence. It's about not just the community side of things. It's also about getting you the skills that you need for free to get hired and get paid the money you deserve. And again, we're pairing people with specialists. We've partnered with every organization you can imagine, from big tech companies to small startups to VC firms and everybody in between. And so I spent three or four years building up the, the UK branches. Then I appointed new leaders in that space. Then I became a global ambassador where I spent quite a lot of time helping the organization globally. And now I sit on our advisory board where I help define our division with the other advisory board members moving forward. And the reason why I did that was, you know, for me, it's really important that we do things that don't create more exclusion. So when I decided I wanted to do something, I didn't want there to be a cost to it. I'm from a background where I grew up on free school meals, school, my parents were on benefits, things were not always easy. And I've certainly traversed privileged lines where I'm now financially stable, I don't have any money worries and so on. But whenever I was finding what I wanted to do, whether it was with Women Who Code or something else, I didn't want there to be a cost to it for members because some people can afford, you know, £10 or $15 and some people can't. And there's a lot of people that are in that some can't category and people mm. continually forget about them and it wasn't good enough. So that's why I chose Women Who Code with the thing that I wanted to take to the to Belfast at that stage and then London and Bristol and Edinburgh and then different parts of Europe because for me, it really resounded with what we needed to do. We needed to create an equitable environment. That means that we have to do things that are tailored for the needs of different people. It also means we have to hold organizations to account when they don't meet those needs as well. Um, but yeah, I've been with that organization now for about seven or eight years. So yeah, it feels like, feels like a long time ago now, but <laughs> yeah, it's super exciting. It is really exciting. And what, I think there's a couple of things just in that story that I would point out to people as they're listening. Because we have people who are in diversity and inclusion. We have people who are leaders in all kinds of other specialties and fields and you know different backgrounds. But one of the things that I, at least I heard is I see a gap it's something that's really close to me. It's something that I can understand and appreciate. And mm -hmm. so what I'm going to do is 
not necessarily have to recreate something, but I'm going to go and look at other resources that already exist and are filling in that gap in a meaningful way. And then I'm going to take my skills. So like I have this tech background, I I have, you know, knowledge and relationships and, and understandings of what it looks like in the, in the UK. And as being somebody who is part of this group that really could have benefited or really can still benefit um, from an organization like that. And I'm going to take that, I'm going to mix all of those things together again, not recreating it, but taking what I already have and taking the assets that already exist out there and putting them together in a way that could really like leverage other people's success. I think to me, like that's an amazing recipe and it can be applied in tech. It can be applied in HR. It can be applied really in all different kinds of of spaces. And too often we make it more complicated than that, right? You did something huge, but you did it with a number of components that were within grasp. Yeah, exactly. And and, I, and there's a really important point there around success shouldn't only be dependent on whether you've created something from the start. And I see a lot of people having passion about this. My passion and skill set are two different things as well, which I talk about quite a lot, but having a lot of passion around this and thinking that that means we have to start something new when there are organizations like, let's say, Women Who Code or Black Girls Code and so on and so forth that are doing really great work that could really utilize the skills and the passion that you have in a way that is focused in uh, both efficient for you because it is exhausting to start something new (laughs) Um, (laughs) but also useful and giving you that growth element and I think you know what I did was I, I found an organization I really liked I helped them branch over I then built up five remote teams appointed leaders in those areas and then I stepped back because that part of the journey I didn't need to be in the part of the UK journey anymore because I'd set it up and that was my my turn was to step upwards and do a different thing for the organization. And now again, upwards again, I know when I'm not needed. And that's the point you're supposed to, you know, utilize things that, you know, you're not always the best person for the job. It didn't make sense for me to continue focusing on a UK region when I had five or six great teams that were smashing it. Why would I need to be there? So then I moved on to a different role with the organization. And that's what's important here is that you, you remember that, you know, success doesn't have to be, oh, Shri Atchison made this. So therefore, it's great. Well, I know I said that at the start about my book, though. <laughs> but but um, yeah, like what I mean is, you know, you don't have to create a community from scratch for it to be a good one. There are lots of great things out there that you really can align with um, and focus in on. That's right. And when you bring those resources together, you actually can do do more with it. When you're out there kind of all by yourself, like you said, you have to start it. It's hard and it's tiring. Yeah. Because I did that with women who code, like we had no UK at all. And it was exhausting, but it meant now that we we have a huge region here. We think we have over 11,000 members and then we have lots across Europe and everything too. Um, but I didn't, my the thing that I didn't need to recreate would be me trying to create something with brand new branding and everything. Right. It was a really strong women who code brand. And I had the, they had something I needed and I had something they needed and it just worked. So. That's so awesome. I hope people are driving in their cars or listening while they're running or working out or doing whatever it is, they doing laundry, whatever you're doing while you're listening to the podcast, but also getting really excited and starting to maybe ignite some things that are in your life and within your reach that you could help, you know, move forward and move forward really towards these equitable things that we're talking about, right? Towards this more inclusionary world that we've been dreaming about. Okay. So again, I have a million things I want to talk to you about, but why don't you tell me a little bit more about what you're doing at Pecan and what your role looks like there and and what that looks like, you know, thinking about the things that you're passionate, how you're bringing that into the work that you do. So tell us a little bit about the company too. 
Yeah, sure. So I've held a number of senior leadership global roles in inclusion at Deloitte, at Monzo Bank, which is a challenger bank, and then now at Pecon. Um, so Pecon is an employee success platform, and our mission is to make work work for all people. And that means all people. That doesn't mean a subset of people. That means all people, all employees. And the, the purpose of the, the platform is to provide intelligent listening for organizations at scale to help them really get insights that help them understand what does it mean to work at company X? How do people from different backgrounds feel there? What about you know all of the different things like engagement, management, support, et cetera, how that links into diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like I said, I'm very technically minded. All of the DE&I roles that I hold, um, I never do a role that sits, let's say, only on internal people-related stuff. It is always across you know, the products as well because I love doing things where I get to use my technical mindset. Like, do I code anymore? No. But do I know, you know, technical specifications and, you know, using agile delivery and so on? Yes, because that's how I work and that's how I use my own strategies. And so my work in PECON is both internally on our own DE&I taking us on that journey across our five five offices that we have globally. And then also 50% of my time is owning the product vision for our include product which is our product to help organizations get insights on diversity, inclusiveness, and non-discrimination in a way that is compliant, that allows you to understand easily what is happening across all of your organization through all different backgrounds and with unique language processing so you can see the different topics that your people are commenting on and understanding what you need to do about that because we provide the actions and the checklists to really help drive you towards inclusion that not just scales, but is sustainable. Mm. And So I own the vision for that product with our chief product officer. And then I also spend a lot of time with all of our different clients. Um, We have lots and lots of different clients all over the world from every industry you could imagine. But it means I get to spend a lot of time with people that are on this journey and that need expertise like mine. So I'm able to, you know, put my hands into all of these different spaces to help them, you know, bring to life best practices, not just overall but using a product that really does bring that to life and the reason why I came to Pecon in September last year was because firstly I used the product in the last place that I worked as well so I'm a really big fan of it and I was part of the beta to help them develop it anyway but the the thing that I, I really want organizations to move towards is stop calling diversity and inclusion reports diversity and inclusion reports when they're just diversity reports when they are just sharing demographic data now right. it's not good enough now, certainly, if you read the PECON report that I shared in October last year on our website, we share not just our demographic data, but also our inclusiveness scores and so on, broken down by gender and ethnicity. Now, we're about 250 people, so we couldn't share across disability and so on because it's a smaller subset and anonymity is a top priority. But what's important here is that we measure inclusion in the same way as diversity. We've defined progress indicators and um, success goals off of those metrics. We've also defined progress indicators and success goals off of those scores in relation to our senior management team. So they have ownership and accountability off inclusion. And that's what I'm really, again, in the book as well, is pushing people towards that understanding that so often in the industry, and certainly in the decade that I've been doing this, very regularly, certainly until the last few years, People have always said, you know, oh, we can't really measure inclusion. We just have to see if people stay or how they feel. We'll measure it around attrition and retention and so on. But you do, there are much, much better ways to do that in tandem with those things. Right. You have to invest in it and you have to do it in a way that scales. 
But otherwise, what happens is that we just keep doing the same things over and over and over again and nothing changes. Because when we measure it and we publicly state, you know, where we're at, even if the story isn't good, right? that's what we need to get to. But it's a journey for some people. <laughs> well, I'm very pushy. The opportunities that you have, right? Like yeah. the opportunity to be like how we started this conversation, intentional. Where are your intentions and what are you putting behind those intentions to, to move them forward? Yeah. Well, it has been a joy to be able to learn a little bit more about you and Pecan and Girls You Code and the book, which we're all going to get on our books. I was going to say bookshelves, but I don't want them on your bookshelves. I want them like in your hand for your yeah. hand reading them. So um, in our hands. So I'm just really grateful. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And just thank you to everybody who had an opportunity to to listen in. I hope that again, you've gotten some things in your mind that you're like, Ooh, there's ways that I can use the resources that are already available to me and the skills that I have and bring them together to really move towards being intentional about not just diversity, but really intentional about inclusion. We'll put a, a bunch of links at the bottom, Sheree, but if there's a way for people, what's the best way for them to stay connected to you? Yeah, of course. You, you can search for me on Twitter. Just search my name or you can get me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I'm in all the, all the obvious places. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Well, we'll make sure that we put links into the show notes so that people can go ahead and grab them and follow you and follow and follow your work. I just am grateful that you're here, but I'm also just really grateful for all the things that you're doing and how you're using your talents and the things that you're passionate about and being purposeful in the space. It's really nice to have you as, as a colleague spearheading, spearheading this. <laughs> thank week. you. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So for all of those of you who are listening, thanks for joining in. Hope that you'll join us again next week. Make sure that you tell somebody about the podcast. We know that the more people who are thinking about this work, the more people who are holding themselves accountable, the more people who are being purposeful, the more we can do, the more we can demand, right? So let's demand more, like Sheree said, and let's go ahead and get at this work. We'll see you all and and, and hear you all and be with you all in the next show. Take care, everybody. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.